0: And of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now, as we kick off this series and we start talking about James, we we better figure out who James is, right? And uh, there are a handful of Jameses that we see in Scripture uh, in the early church. And so the question is, which James is being referred to here? Who wrote this? Most scholars believe that this is James the Just the half-brother of Jesus, the leader in, a church, in the early church in Jerusalem. And he is writing, not, he's writing what's called a general letter. You know, some of the letters that we see in Scripture are letters to a specific church. And this is a letter that's not to a specific church, but it's meant to be circulated among many people, among many followers of Jesus. And, it, and it's addressed to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, which sounds weird, right? What does that even mean? Well, you know, the 12 tribes, it's a reference to the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. And it points to this reality that his audience based on the letter is it's primarily probably Jewish Christians, Jews who have become followers of Jesus, and these Christians are scattered. They're dispersed throughout the land, throughout the nations. And just as Kyle mentioned, what we're going to see is that these individuals were struggling. They're struggling with trials. They were struggling with challenging circumstances, right? Most scholars, they date this letter in like the mid-40s. So the church is very young. The people are very young. It's a little bit like us here at H2O, right? And they're growing up. And they're trying to figure out what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus In this world, how do I navigate the trials of this world? And guys, at this time, the social conditions that are existing are not pleasant for these men and women. Many of these followers of Jesus are experiencing poverty. They're experiencing oppression. There's social tension. There are heated and ongoing religious debates. Sometimes they're violent. And these men and women, they probably started with excitement and zeal. And as they've gone on, they've realized one thing. Wow, following Jesus is hard. Anybody relate to that? Following Jesus is difficult. The three of you are bold enough to put your hands up. I am with you. I am 47 years old, and each season of life, I think to myself, well, this has got to be as hard as it gets. And then I get to the next one. Have you experienced this? So you're an undergrad, and you're like, oh, this seems really hard. My faith is my own now, and I've got to figure out what I believe, and there's all these different worldviews. Then you hit grad school, and you're like, whoa, okay, this is another level. Or you get your first job and you have to do your laundry. right? Wow, okay, we got some people in the thick of that. Or you get married and you're navigating relationships and you have kids and then all of a sudden the issues become really big, right? All of a sudden there's, there's health issues. Maybe there's deaths of loved ones. And everything gets more challenging and it gets more complex. Have you guys experienced this? This is the Christian life. And this is what James says about what we're experiencing. And this is in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy. That's what he says. And, And the first time I read this, honestly... I did exactly what Jeff just did. I laughed. I laughed out loud. I thought, is that, is that a joke? Like, is that some sort of joke? In fact, when I first, I became a Christian in college. And when I first heard this, I quickly became cynical about this very idea. I lived with five guys. And, and if I would walk by and they were like drowning under a pile of dishes to wash, while they were toiling away, I'd be like, count it all joy, brother. <laughs> yeah, thank, thanks, Shaw. Appreciate that. And it was obnoxious. And, and just so you know, I'm experiencing payback now with my own kids, right? When they experience some hardship and I'm like, well, you know, kids, I I know this is hard. And they're like, yeah, 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 I know, I know, Dad. Yay, character development! (laughs) Because there's this thought. We know, we know, we're supposed to be happy. And and we can say those things and I can share those stories and it can seem kind of funny, but it has an effect on us, doesn't it? it? It almost can make us think that Christianity seems irrelevant to our daily life. Right? That we're just supposed to go on our way and say, well, everything's great. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And have a smile on our face. Like the job almost makes it seem like, what well, we're not dealing with reality. We're not dealing with the fact that there is real pain, and then there is real hardship, and it is really difficult. I don't know if you've ever fallen into this trap, but you can read a passage like this and start to think, well, gee, is our job just to be fake? Because I don't know if I feel joy. I don't know if I experience joy. But it sounds like I'm supposed to. So I better put a smile on my face. I better make it seem like everything is okay. Do you ever feel that pressure? It also seems kind of insensitive, right? I kid you not, 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago, I got a text from my wife. Dumb dog got out and won't come home. That's what it said. (laughs) <laughs> which I shouldn't laugh at that, right? And I thought, what would have happened had I written, count it all joy, sister, count it all joy. I don't think that had gone well. I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. I decided not to do that. But I don't think that would fly in the Shaw household. It, come, it can come across even as insensitive. And here's the thing about this passage. I think it's a passage that's terribly misunderstood, Because I don't think James is saying, let's be fake. Look at that phrase, count it all joy. This is not an exhortation to be happy. It's not an exhortation to smile. It refers to a state of being rather than an emotion. I read one author and he he described it this way, a settled contentment in every situation. A settled contentment. Another uh, commentator said this, And I really like this an unnatural reaction of deep, steady, and unadulterated thankful trust in God. An unnatural reaction of deep, steady, and unadulterated thankful trust in God. And it's unnatural in the sense of it being so unusual in our world, right? So unusual. This is not a call to insincerity. This isn't a call to fakeness. This isn't a call to say there isn't real grief and real brokenness in our world, but it's a call to deep contentment in the midst of it. That's the picture. A picture that sincere faith in Jesus Christ will bring about deep contentment. You know, over the past couple years, my wife has gotten to work with international high school students. And through this, she's gotten to connect with some amazing people, some great men and women. And one of these, uh, I brought a picture of her. Uh, in the wheelchair there, her name is Karen Harchie. And when Karen was growing up, uh, she loved Jesus, and her dream was to be a missionary. She wanted to go to the nations. And then unexpectedly and violently in her middle of her life, her ability to walk was taken away from her. And there was grief and there was sorrow. But she decided that maybe if she couldn't go to the nations... Maybe she would reach the people that the nations were sending to us. And so she began to host international students. But the trials haven't gone away. And she is regularly hospitalized. She regularly has complications related to her paralysis. She even at one point decided she was going to write a book about her experiences of walking with Jesus through suffering. And then she started to get blood clots so she couldn't move as much. And it it made it so she had difficulty writing. And, and my wife has gotten to watch Karen journey through these trials. The other day, after yet another hospitalization, Heather asked her about how she was feeling, and she said, Heather, God has me here for a reason. So I get to the hospital, and I ask God, who do you have here for me to minister to? And here's what's interesting. I have never met Karen yet. I'm sure I will soon. And the only reason I know about Karen is because every single time my wife interacts with her in a meeting or passing in conversation or when they get together for dinner, she comes back and she talks about her. Because in the midst of her life, Karen is this consistent source of encouragement to my wife, Heather. You're doing a great job, Heather. Your kids are so fantastic, Heather. We're so proud of you, Heather. I'm praying for you, Heather over and over and over again. And from her wheelchair, she lavishes my wife with encouragement and love. My wife came home the other night in tears just this week. And she said to me, that woman is a magnet. There is something about her spirit that is just attractive. And I asked her what it was, and she said one word, joy. Real joy. Have you guys met someone like that? Have you tasted that in your life? Where where you look at that individual and you think, I don't even know how you have peace right now. I don't even know how you have joy. They are so attractive, aren't they? They are so awe-inspiring, and our world is so hungry for that, isn't it? There's so much sorrow. There's so much anger. There's so much discontent. And I know it's easy to hear a story like that, and and, and we're tempted to feel guilty, right? We think about our problems, and then they seem really small, and we become convinced, yeah, God must really be upset with me. He must be shaking his head and thinking, dude, you need to suck it up. Anyone ever thought that? That's not the message of Karen. That's not the message of Karen. It's not the message of Sam. It's not the message of James. The message is there is hope. As you are searching for joy in the midst of trials, there is hope that it is possible. Joy is possible for you. Do you guys realize that? We could experience this. Look at what James says. He says, Count it all joy. When you meet trials, Of various kinds. And I just want to stop. And I I want to just camp on this for a minute, guys. You will meet trials. Do you guys understand that? So often we seem genuinely surprised by hardships in our journey with the Lord. Who told you that there would not be a struggle? Who told you that? They lied to you. You will meet trials. A couple years ago, my kids were running track and and the the track coach had a meeting with all the parents. And she was explaining, she's like, now look, your kids sometimes are going to come home and they're going to say, I'm exhausted. They may even told you they throw up. I just want to let you know, that's part of the process. That's part of the process. I was like, whoa, you are hardcore. (laughs) Now, and I will say this. I actually don't know if that's part of the process and track or if it's supposed to be. It doesn't seem like that should be, <laughs> regularly throwing up. But I am going to tell you this, it is part of the process when you follow Jesus. It is part of the process. We should not be surprised when hard circumstances come. We should not be surprised when there are heart-breaking moments. We are living in a broken world, and we are broken. We are in the the midst of it. There are things that you will not understand. And I love that James says various trials, right? Because we always listen to to stories, and what's the first thing we think? We immediately fall into this comparison trap, right? Well, my, my life is different, though. My circumstances are different. And James is saying, yes, yes, they are different. Some of you, you have family trials. Some of you, you have health trials. Some of you have career trials or financial trials or emotional trials or mental trials. Some of you have completely self-inflicted trials. Yes, they are different. And what we see here is James gathers them all together under various and proclaims, no matter what it is, what the hardship is, real joy is for you. You can count it all joy. This applies to... To you. Isn't that awesome? So, yes, what you're going through is, is unique to you. But in the midst of that, joy is still possible, and it starts by us seeing our trials differently. What's so amazing in our lives, and, and if we're honest, we know this is true, is that something profound happens in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, right? These can be actually some of the most deeply spiritual moments in our life. C.S. Lewis says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. Isn't that true? He gets our attention so quickly in the midst of pain. And James says the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And what that means is this, the Christian views trials as a pathway to maturity. The Christian views trials as a pathway to maturity, and I know that it is a struggle to believe that. We have been trained our whole life, our whole culture has told us trials are just to be ignored, they're to be hated, they're to be despised, and they're to be fled from. In an ideal world, we would never have a trial. We would only go from great thing to great thing, and that is not what Scripture teaches us. That's a pathway to shallowness and superficial happiness with no depth, if we're really honest. That we are struggling with the reality of brokenness and trials are a pathway to maturity. So what does testing of your faith mean? There's really two senses of this word and the first is testing in the sense of proving faith is genuine right? Trials show your faith for what it really is. And that is certainly true. And I think we need to wrestle with that. That's a hard thing to think about, right? That trials and tough circumstances are kind of exposing us, exposing our faith for how real it is. But I think the more probable intention of James here is the idea that testing refines our faith. The picture here it is like it's similar to the process of gold or silver being refined by fire, Adversity is the fire that purifies and strengthens our faith. And we need that, don't we? Don't we need that? We need depth. We want depth in our life. We want our lives to be spiritually deep, our relationships to be deep. We want to go beyond the superficial. Pastor Tim Keller says this. I love this quote. How can you move from loving God in a mercenary way toward loving God himself. I'm afraid the primary way is to have hardship come into your life. Do you catch that? How can you move from loving God in a mercenary way to loving God himself? I'm afraid the primary way is to have hardship come into your life. And the goal of this, James says it right here, the goal of this is that so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There is a picture here. The picture is of wholeness. The picture is of health. And as a follower of Jesus, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this is where God is bringing you. And he he didn't say, okay, this is where I'm going to bring you when you're dead. Boom. Health. It's going to be great. He is actively bringing you right now. You can taste it. You can experience it right now. Not in all its fullness because we know the sin that still exists in our heart and the brokenness that still exists in this world but we could get to places of joy. We can get to places of contentment. And I want to just stop and just ask you to think about this for a minute. God's desire for you is to be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. He is in your life Working for your wholeness and your health, do you believe that this morning? Do you honestly have that view of God i 'll joke around with my daughter a lot she 's sixteen, so she gets angsty and sometimes i 'll like push back at her angst and and she 'll look at me she 's like, "Dad, you don 't understand me you 're ruining my life now Most of the time, she's joking, and we're just messing with each other. But many of us secretly, that's the view we have of God. We won't say it because it's obnoxious to say it, but deep in our heart, we think, you know what this is about? This is about rules, and this is about boundaries, and God wants to restrict me, and he wants to rob me of joy, and he's not looking out for me, and he's not close, and he doesn't hear me. But what if something else was true? What if God is here in the midst of any trial and hardship that you have? What if he is present? And what if he is good? And what if he is still working? He's not passive. He's not standing back. But he is engaged and involved. What if your father, your heavenly father, was actively moving in your life to make you whole? to bring you health and depth. You know, four years ago, I had uh, surgery on my hip. I know that's usually a thing for elderly people, but it was my time. So I have a picture. I think this is me during recovery. My kids gave me a horn to put on my my crutches to let people know I was coming. Um, And I remember after the surgery, I had to go to physical therapy. Who's been to physical therapy? Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? You go to physical therapy, and, and this woman was there, and she's starting to put me through exercises, and she starts laughing. This is our first appointment, and, and she laughs as I was doing some weird core exercise, and she's, I was like, what's so funny? She's like, John, you are impressively weak. <laughs> I was like, really? You needed to add impressively in there? That sentence works without impressively. I'm glad I was so amazing to you. And we'd go time after time, and there's exercises, and if you've been there, you know it's agony. It's agony, right? At one point, they hooked me up to these, like, electro things, and they're shocking my lower back. I don't actually even know what that was supposed to do. (laughs) But it hurt. And you know what I did every time I left? Every single time I left, I said, thank you. That's what I did. Because there was some point where I realized, I am broken. I am tired of being broken. I want to play ball. I want to play with my kids. There's something not right. And I know what you're doing right now. Your heart is to help me get healthy. That's what you want. This is like when the teacher hands you the paper and says, rewrite this. Or the coach says, I'm going to need one more lap. Or your parents say, I need you to eat that vegetable. Or the doctor says, I'm going to stick you with this needle, but it's going to be fine right? And there's this moment where we think, you are the living worst. I do not want this to happen, right? And sometimes we don't even understand why they're doing it. But occasionally something else happens, and I know you've experienced this, where you look at that that parent or that teacher or that coach or somebody, and we look in their eyes and we know they love us. They love us and they want what's best for us. In fact, they see something for us that maybe we don't even see. And I want to tell you guys, when you have those moments and you see that in someone else, that is a kingdom moment because you are getting a glimpse of the heart of your father. That is how God responds to and interacts with and feels about us. In the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow, he is there and he is working. And he is working for our wholeness. He is working for our health he is so at work and guys as you as we struggle with hardships you have to know god is grieved by our sorrow god knows that this is not the way it was supposed to be that the brokenness of the world and he did not create all of your hardships he did not make them. But if you're a follower of Christ, he is with you. He walks with you, right? We talked about this in the last series. He is not going to leave you alone. He is not distant from your voice and your cry, your anger, or your sorrow. And better even still is he is working on your behalf. He is moving on your behalf. This is what Sam fought for, right? through the grief, through the hardship, not giving up and clinging to that simple reality that God is good. And was that not the best line ever in a slice when she said, oh man, I got emotional when she said it. I can't explain why, but deep in my healing bones, I believe the Lord is not done here yet. The Lord is not done here yet. Is that not one of the most powerful phrases that we can remember in our life? The Lord is not done here yet. In the midst of whatever you're going through. There's a secret in here, and the secret is this. A high view of your father is the key to your joy. A high view of your father is the key to your joy. Joy is not going to come from all your circumstances getting fixed. It's not going to come from all of your planning and scheming. It's not going to come from running away and hiding. It's going to come when you know that your father is with you and you know that he is good and you know he is at work for your benefit. Then you can get to a place of contentment. Then you can get to a place of peace I was supposed to, to go all the way through verse 18. That's not going to happen today, as you could probably tell. I'm still in verse 4, which is unfortunate. But here's, here's what I want to tell you. I would like you to read this week all the way to verse 18, and there's a pattern that you're going to see. Okay? And you're going to see this in the whole book of James. He, he says these things that are out there. They're so high call, right? Deep contentment in the midst of your trials. Like, whoa, okay, let's start with something simple. No, he just ratches it right up. And the rest of this section is basically him presenting these high calls. If you need wisdom, ask, but don't doubt. Ask with faith, and God will give you wisdom. And if you're poor, have hope that God is going to give you a crown of life. It's going to be great. Don't be discouraged in your poverty. If you're being tempted, be faithful to God in your temptation. Don't turn on him. Stay true, and he he shares these things one after another, and in each section, and you'll catch this when you read it, James tells them the key, and the key always has to do with seeing God clearly. Always has to do, right? You can ask for wisdom because you know that God gives generously to all without finding fault. You can have hope in the midst of your circumstances because you know that in the end, you're going to receive a crown of life from your heavenly Father. You can be faithful in temptation because you know that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Everything good that you have comes from him. He, if he's the giver of good things, you can trust him right now in whatever you're wrestling with. A high view of your Father is the key to our lives changing. And when we see him as he really is, everything changes, guys. James believed that and he preached that because he experienced that. Kyle kind of touched on this earlier. I want to read this passage to you out of the Gospel of Mark. This is James, okay? Jesus has begun his ministry. He's, he's healing. He's preaching. He's claiming to be the Son of God. And in Mark chapter 3, it says this. Do I have that? Then he, who Jesus, went home. And the crowd gathered again so they would not, could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying he is out of his mind. Right? So here's the picture. Jesus is preaching, and his family, which included James, came to get him. And they were like, dude, let's just go home. Come on. Because that's what you do when your brother's wandering around claiming to be the son of God. Right? You're like, let's get him home first, and then we'll talk it through. Right? (laughs) This is James. And something happened. And what happened, we read about in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's talking about Jesus rising from the dead. He's talking about the gospel. And he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, right? That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Then he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So he's appearing to people resurrected to show who he is. And in verse 7, it says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. The resurrected Jesus appeared to James. Could you imagine that moment? That would be freaky, right? Bro, it was true. Yeah, yeah, I told you, James. Imagine that moment. He came face to face with the real Jesus. He came face to face with, I I was completely wrong about you. What a life-changing moment that must have been. It wasn't, okay, well, maybe now I'll start going to church. I I may even volunteer as a greeter now. You rose from the dead, right? No, that's not what happened. His whole life changed direction. Everything He had genuine faith. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. He became known as James the Righteous or James the Just. He became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. How committed was he? Ancient writers, Eusebius, Josephus, tell us that James was stoned to death by scribes and Pharisees for refusing to renounce his commitment to Jesus. That's how he ended. These are the words of a man who was all in. And he counted it all joy. And he counted it all joy because he encountered Jesus Christ. He teaches us about this because he lived it. My my simple question for you this morning is this Do you believe this can be for you? Do you believe joy is still possible? Some of you, I know you feel so broken and so tired. These first couple verses in James, what they scream to us is there is hope. There is hope for every single person in this room to experience joy. Some of you are here and you're realizing, I'm not sure I believe any of this. I'm not sure I have this faith. Maybe you are even skeptical like James. This is an invitation for you this morning to come, to turn away from trusting yourself, to see Jesus as he really is. He is your Savior, and He can be your Lord. All you have to do is acknowledge your trust in Him. And I want to be honest with you, this is the greatest movement towards joy that a man or woman can ever make. To have their relationship with Jesus restored. But but many of us here, many of us are followers of Christ already, but despite that, we've lost touch with hope. Maybe the burden's or the struggles of life you feel like are weighing you down, or you've lost sight of how good your father is, or you've settled for a a different lower view of the Lord or a lower view of life. How can we move towards joy this morning? I I wish I had some formula for you. I would give it to you if I had. Three-step plan to joy by next week. But what it really looks like is is exactly what Sam described. It is messy, messy. And it is painful and it is relational and it's a struggle and it's beautiful. The first thing I would tell you is we need to ask God for help. Remember, joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. We can't manufacture it. We can't just make it happen in our own hearts. We have to ask God to move. Will you give me joy? And then secondly, I would tell you this. Let's wrestle and let's fight for a high view of our God. Let us read this word and and figure out what God's heart is for us. Let's read about his goodness. Let's read about his holiness and his presence and his power. And let's share our heart with him, weeping, raging, struggling, being vulnerable, right? It's hard to be vulnerable before God to share how we're really doing. But I can tell you, as the father of four kids, there is nothing, nothing that brings me more joy than when my kids fight for our relationship. In the midst of their imperfection and their struggle, in the midst of us fighting, in the midst of they thinking, Dad, you're annoying. Dad, you don't understand me. You do frustrating things. When when they show that they're willing to fight for our relationship, when they show that they want to trust me, it is the most beautiful thing in the world. Let's honor God by doing that with him. We can start this morning by having the worship team come forward and lead us in communion. You know, this practice was started by Jesus. It was started for his followers, and we take the bread, and we take the juice, and it represents Jesus' body and blood. And we, it's just an opportunity for us to stop and remember What he did for us on the cross. And what's amazing is the cross is the ultimate example of joy in hardship, right? Real suffering inflicted upon Jesus for the joy set before him. And for our joy in having our relationship with him restored. So that real wholeness can be experienced by us. During this time, I just want to encourage you to simply reconnect with God. As they lead us in a few songs, let's meditate on the reality that you have a Father whose desire still, no matter what you have done or what you're bringing to the table today, it is still to make you, as a follower of Christ, mature and complete. He has rescued you, He is walking with you, and He is going to bring you home. And then at some point in the next three songs, as you feel led, come on up and take the bread And dip it in the juice and know simply this, that your trials and your hardships don't define you. They don't control you because God is not done here yet. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reality that that you have given us a hope that goes beyond this world. Lord, we thank you that, that you don't disregard our sorrow You don't make light of it. You don't want us to pretend like it doesn't exist, but you will meet us in that space and you will remind us of your goodness and your power. And Lord, I pray that you would make us a community that is attractive to the world, that makes the world scratch its head because in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our trying circumstances, we as a family look to you with contentedness and with hope. Lord, we tell you we love you. We thank you so much for rescuing us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.